0: Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Hebrews, and we are in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Thank you, Cliff, and thank you to our musicians and singers. We appreciate you guys. Well, we do continue to make our way through this book, steadily, surely, uh, through the book of Hebrews. Today, we will wrap up chapter four. Next Sunday, you will have the pleasure of hearing Pastor Bill preach to you. Uh, Our family is going to be heading out after church today, heading down to the Gulf Coast and spend a few days, so we're really excited about that. But we won't be here next Sunday, but uh, you will get to hear Pastor Bill, and then we'll pick up the Sunday after that back in Hebrews again. Last week, uh, we ended by talking about the idea of standing before God in judgment. And we talked about the fact that that is a little bit of a scary thought, uh, even for us as Christians to know that We know we're not under condemnation, right? We're not under God's wrath. We know that we've been forgiven, but we're still going to give an account for our life. And in fact, verse 13 that we looked at last week actually says that all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We said there'll be no hiding in that day. No hiding behind fig leaves as Adam and Eve did. No hiding behind this false facade that we put on for ourselves and others. We're gonna be naked before the Lord and we're gonna have to give an account for our life. Now, that's a scary thought. 2 Corinthians says it should invoke in us a certain amount of, of holy terror to know that we're going to stand before God one day. But the good news is that we have a great high priest who mediates between us and God, who makes us clean to stand before God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to learn three encouraging truths today about our great high priest, including the first truth, which is his identity. So let's get right into the text and let's learn about this great high priest who stands between us and God and connects us to God. Here's what it says in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us Hold fast our confession. Now here is encouraging truth number one this morning that we take from this verse. Jesus is our great high priest. Our great high priest is Jesus. In the Old Testament, the high priest entered once per year on the day of atonement into the holy of holies, the innermost room of the tabernacle to make sacrifice for the people's sins. That was his job. Now, Jesus, when he came to earth, he gave himself as the once and for all sacrifice, making ongoing sacrifices of animals obsolete. Jesus was the spotless lamb of God who gave himself once and for all for our sins. And so in this way, Jesus then became our great high priest, mediating between us and God we now go to God the Father not through a human priest making sacrifice on our behalf but directly through the Son of God Jesus Christ amen aren't you glad that we don't need a human priest I don't know about you but I'm glad that I don't have to serve in the role of a priest Um, I was scrolling through Twitter this week and I came across what I, I think was a real sign in a Catholic church, and it said, there is only one priest available for confession today. Make your confession direct to the point and confess only your sins and offenses. That part was underlined. No need to explain why you did it. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm glad we don't have to do that. I'm glad we don't have to make confession to a human priest because Jesus is our great high priest. Now, verse 14 says that our great high priest has passed through the heavens. This is a reference to the ascension of Jesus. Now, one thing that I found is that many people don't know a lot about what happened to Jesus after his resurrection. And sometimes people ask, What did happen? I, I don't know. He, I know he died on the cross and raised from the dead, but then what? What the Bible tells us is that Jesus Christ was on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, and then he Ascended into the heavens. He took his disciples to the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem and he lifted up into the sky, into the clouds, and was received into heaven. So, heavens, when it mentions that here in verse 14, could be in a general sense. It could just mean that Jesus went through the sky into the abode of God, or it could have a little bit more specific meaning. Uh, Paul, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 12, talked about being caught up into the third heaven. And we read that and we think, what does that mean, the third heaven? A lot of theologians say, well, the first heaven would just be the sky above us. The second heaven would be the cosmos, outer space. And the third heaven would be the abode of God. Some commentators note that the high priest in the Old Testament also passed through three levels on his way to make sacrifice for the people. He passed through the outer court, then through what was known as the holy place, and then finally into that innermost sanctum of the tabernacle or temple, the holy of holies. So is there some allusion to that as well? Perhaps. But the point is that Jesus is not dead. He is alive in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, Making intercession for his people, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Now, verse 14 ends with a call to action. Because these things are true, because we do have a great high priest who has entered the heavens, then it says, Let us hold fast our confession. Now, this, as we've said, I think, multiple times already in this series, is a recurring theme of this book. In fact, that very phrase, hold fast, that phrase alone just is used three different times in this book. But the point is, and what we see over and over in the book of Hebrews, is that true Christians, people who have genuinely put their faith in Jesus Christ, persevere to the end. They don't fall away. Now, they may backslide, they may stumble in their walk with Christ, but they don't ultimately fall away from Him. Why? Because not because of any good on our part, but because God holds on to us, and because He keeps us. And we always want to point out here as well: we're not saying that we earn our salvation by persevering in the faith, by holding fast. It's not like I've got to hold fast so I don't lose my salvation. But rather, the fact that we do hold fast, the fact that we do persevere verifies and validates that our faith in Christ is real, that it is genuine, that it is sincere. As one man has said, a faith that does not finish was flawed from the very beginning. So the point is, with this verse, we're not in this by ourselves. We have a great high priest who advocates to God for us, who holds on to us, and his name is is Jesus. And that should be an encouragement to us today. Now, not not only do we have this great high priest, but verse 15 goes on to tell us that there is something very special about him. So let's read that verse together. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted As we are, yet without sin. All right, let's pause there. Here's encouraging truth number two today. I love this. Jesus understands what it is to be human, He gets it. How cool is that? Now, I don't know about you, but when I have a problem or if I'm struggling with a particular temptation, I like to speak to someone who can identify. I don't want to speak to someone who's like, oh, I've never had that problem, right? I've never been tempted in that way. I want to speak to someone who's walked in my shoes. I want to speak to someone who's been there and and done that. Uh, One thing I find very helpful as a pastor is to talk to other pastors. Why? Because they can identify with the position that I'm in. They've walked in my shoes, uh, same same way, it's helpful to speak with other Christians who have struggled with the same temptations that, that we have for that very reason. They've been there, they've done that. And having said that, Jesus is the same way. Jesus gets it. He came to earth and became human primarily to be our savior, right? To be our sacrifice, but also to identify with us. Jesus can sympathize, it says, with being human. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, to me, this is one of the most fascinating statements in all the Bible, when it says that Jesus was tempted in all points that we are, yet without sin. Now, that's the important part, right? Without sin. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But let's talk about, for just a moment, Jesus being tempted Did Jesus really face every specific temptation that you and I face today? Well, the Greek for that phrase, in all points, actually does not mean in every single detail. That's not what it means. But rather, it means more accurately, some of all types. So for example, let's talk about a couple of common and and very specific temptations that Christians face today. And I just kind of pulled these out of the air, but these are examples. One, let's say online pornography. Jesus didn't face that specific temptation, did he? Because he didn't have the internet back then, right? So he never was tempted specifically with online pornography, but there were certainly other forms of sexual temptation. And I would just about bet you that Jesus being human dealt with, in some form or fashion with sexual temptation during his lifetime on this earth. And that's what this verse is telling us. It may not be every specific sin exactly, but it's every type of sin. How about breaking the speed limit? Some of you refuse to acknowledge that's a sin, but it is. There was no such thing as a speed limit, obviously, in Jesus's day, because there was no such thing as automobiles. So was Jesus ever specifically tempted to break the speed limit? No, so he didn't face that specific temptation. But do you think that Jesus was ever tempted to break laws that the government set that were perhaps inconvenient for him? Sure he did. He didn't face every specific temptation that you and I face, but every form or every type of temptation. Gluttony. Was Jesus ever tempted to take that second piece of pie? At the end of his meal? I mean, think about this. It's amazing that he had no sin. None. He never sinned. He never crossed that line. With, although he faced every temptation that you and I do. Or every form or type of temptation. But the bottom line is, whatever temptation that you and I face, Jesus dealt with something similar. Something of the same kind. He, he's not aloof to what we go through. He's not clueless. He's relatable. He gets it. Because he dealt with it too. So we can come to him in prayer and know that he understands, that he identifies with us as humans. Now, the most amazing thing about Jesus, as we said a moment ago, is that though he was tempted, he never sinned. That's what verse 15 tells us. He never sinned. I heard a guy say one time, think about this. (laughs) Jesus had siblings. Not once did he ever sin." Not once did he ever punch one of his siblings or tell one of his siblings that he was dumb or whatever (laughs) brothers and sisters do, okay? It's amazing, and this is what sets Jesus apart. He's not just a good person. He's not just a, a person that we look to as an example, but he's holy. He's divine. And here's the thing. If Jesus sinned even once, if he messed up just one time, one passing lustful thought, One crossword, it's over. He would no longer be qualified to be our sacrifice. He would no longer be the spotless lamb of God. But the great news is that Jesus never did mess up. He didn't sin. He lived a perfect life so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for our sin and ultimately our great high priest, bridging The chasm between us and God. Isn't that wonderful, wonderful news? And so we praise his name. Look with me if you would now at verse 16. So here's the summary. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's encouraging truth number three. Through Jesus, through our great high priest, we can approach God's throne boldly. Now, the idea of coming before a king's throne boldly would have been a foreign concept to the people that the writer of Hebrews is addressing. It would have been a big deal to these people because ancient kings typically didn't just let anyone approach their throne. In fact, you could get killed for approaching the king's throne without getting the proper permission and going through the proper protocols. Many of you remember the the story of Esther some 500 years before Jesus came and how Mordecai said, Esther, you need to go into the king and, and advocate on behalf of your people. And Esther said, if I go before him without his permission, I could get killed. You remember that? And that was common. That's how it was back then. But yet this is saying right here, that we can approach the God of the universe's throne with boldness. Not a human king, but the God of the universe. How is that possible? How can we come into the presence of a, a holy God who, in the scripture says, is a consuming fire? How in the world can we come into his presence? There is only one way, and that is through our intermediary, through our great high priest. Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we can come before the throne of God boldly. Because when we've put our faith in him and God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin and our shortcomings. He sees only the perfection of his Son, whom he dearly loves. And so we know that when we come to the Father through Jesus, through his perfect Son, that we're always welcome. This is kind of a silly illustration, but it's what came into my mind as I was working on this sermon. You guys remember the scene in The Wizard of Oz where they finally get to the palace or whatever it's called, and they come into the, the throne room of the great Oz. And you remember just how they're shaking like a leaf? Didn't the lion like pass out or something? And they're all just so scared and frightened. We don't have to be like that. When we come into the throne room of the God of the universe, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can come with boldness, knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're fully received and accepted. Here's another illustration or example. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. When you marry into a family, at least this is how it should be, you're no longer a stranger, right? You're one of the family. You don't have to knock on the front door. You come in through the garage, right? Because you're one of the family. You're welcome there. And so when we as the church, the bride of Christ, come into our Father's presence, we're his Son's bride. He loves us. He accepts us. I also love how verse 16 describes the throne of God here in this verse. It is, it says, the throne of grace, not the throne of anger, not the throne of wrath, not the throne of judgment, not for his people anyway. It is the throne of grace. A place, it says, where we may obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Mercy, by the way, is not getting something bad that we do deserve. And grace is getting something good that we don't deserve. And God's throne, it says, for his children, for his people, when we come to him through Jesus, is a place of mercy and grace. God loves us so much that he gives us both of those things. How wonderful is it to say, Lord, I know I don't deserve your help. I know I don't deserve your blessings, but please help me. And he will because he loves us and because he's adopted us through Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can come to God through him and say, Father, please have mercy upon me. I'm in need of your help. I'm struggling with this particular sin. This sin has a stronghold in my life and I'm so weak against it. Lord, I need your help. Or Father, I'm, I'm going through this trial. I'm not strong enough or smart enough to make it through it on my own. I need your help and he will help us because we are coming to him through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the greatest need that we have is for salvation. And when we come to God in the name of Jesus saying, Lord, I'm a lowly sinner. I can't save myself. I need you. I believe in your son. Please save me. God will save us and he will give us eternal life. And what a wonderful promise that is. As we near a time of response today, I hope it's encouraged you to know, to understand that you have an advocate before the Heavenly Father in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. He is the one who connects us to God. And not only does He connect us to God, but He understands what it is to be human. He understands what it is to be tempted, to be weak. He understands that we are frail children of dust, but He is a friend of sinners what a wonderful savior won't you come to him lost person won't you come and give your heart to christ today christian who is struggling mighty with a stronghold of sin in your life isn't it time that you turn to jesus isn't it time that you cast your cares upon him you can't hide those things from him R.C. Sproul says, there are many things in my life that I do not want to put under the gaze of Christ, yet I know that there is nothing hidden from him. He knows me better than my wife knows me, and yet he loves me. This is the most amazing thing of all about God's grace. It would be one thing for him to love us if we could fool him into thinking that we are better than we actually are, but he knows better. He knows all there is to know about us, including those things that could destroy our very reputation. He is minutely and acutely aware of every skeleton in every closet, and he loves us. Christian, if you're here today and you're struggling with sin, come to him. Confess it to God. Ask for his help, and he'll gladly help you. He loves you. Our passage today says if you come to the Father through the Son, that you will find grace and mercy and help in your time of need. Won't you come to him? If you'd like to give your life to Christ this morning, if you'd like to follow him in baptism, Become a member of this church or just spend time on your knees at the altar in prayer. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that here in just a moment. We're going to have a song of response. At this time, I'd like us to bow our heads and pray. And let's conclude this sermon in prayer. And then after we pray, the musicians will come. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to be our great high priest. What an encouragement it is to us to know, Lord, that when we speak to Jesus, he understands He understands what it is to be tempted, what it is to be human. And so, God, help us to come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find help in our time of need. Help us, Lord, to lean on you, not to try to do things on our own, but to trust in you, to lean on you, and let you help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.